Talkers. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 39. Speak and Destroy is a podcast about all things Metallica, and I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is Brian Giles of the band Red Fang, guitarist and vocalist for the Portland-based Relapse Records recording artists, who were one of the bands handpicked to play Metallica's Orion Music and More Festival back in 2012. Let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Brian Giles of Red Fang. This is Speak and Destroy. quote that i saw from you uh you were talking about uh your love of pinball machines which is something i share and you the quote was uh sometimes they have machines backstage at festivals and embarrassingly i miss seeing a lot of my favorite bands because of them at one festival they had a guns and roses pinball machine and i skipped duff mckagan's band to play his pinball machine so i didn't feel too bad now you that was yeah i was i i did feel bad about that dude it was free play, man. What can I do? <laughs> one hundred percent at uh, Ryan Music, not the uh, New Jersey one, but the Michigan one. Greg from the Dillinger Escape Plan and I skipped Metallica to keep playing Metallica pinball in the artist area. <laughs> yeah, there <laughs> so you go. So it was literally pretty much the same <laughs> thing. Yeah. I read that quote and I was like, I've literally done this exact thing. It, it, they were all they were at least off in the distance, and we. We were hearing them as we were playing, but it was fun. and the day before we had seen them do uh, the kill them all set on the small stage, and I've seen them a million times, but nevertheless, I still feel weirdly guilty that we were not watching Metallica because we were playing Metallica pinball at Metallica's festival. <laughs> oh yeah, I've done I've done a lot of terrible. I mean, I, I think that there was a catering um, was once you left catering, you couldn't go back, and there was free beer in there, so I was just like, well, I'm just gonna just have have these beers and and zz top was playing and they play their set was mostly done anyway but i was like i i had never seen zz top and i and i still haven't <laughs> that's that's even more embarrassing than freaking beer it, it well i mean it's 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 relate it's relatable because i mean we must we must have the right intentions if we at least feel bad <laughs> well sure yeah I, I mean i think the thing about you know you're touring or um <clears throat> you know these festivals if you're sort of inundated by bands there's i mean there's so yeah. much going on it's 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 like uh, you almost get apoplectic trying to catch all the bands and so sometimes you really do just need to take some time to yourself and, and i think that's one of the things i like about pinball i mean not i mean i'm in a pinball uh club you know so that's and i actually played some pinball with one of my uh club members last night which was super fun but in general, I think one of one of the things I like about pinball is that it's sort of a Zen thing, and and that you're just it's just you and the machine, you know, and you can focus in there, and that it's uh it's an actual thing instead of screen time, you know, it's you're you're look at le- I mean you're staring at something, but at least it's a real thing. Yeah, there's physical, tangible things moving around in front of you. Yeah, and exactly. and, and you know what I what I enjoy about it too, uh, relative, you know, if you're kind of pro and conning it relative to say a video game whether it's a, an old school video game or a current one 
what I like about pinball is it's very uh, linear and very sort of um, you know I'm, I'm not I'm not obsessive about solving any puzzle or <laughs> achieving any you know you know getting past some plateau or whatever. It's like I can really just play pinball and just play it till my quarters run out and start yeah. over, you know? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty into it. So, um, you know, uh, there are machine, you know, some machines are deeper than others, but you know, there's, you know, modes and things you have to, you know, things you do have to achieve that kind of thing. And I can really get into that too. Uh, I could see that. Yeah. But, but I can also just walk up to a machine I've never played before. And I, and I'm not so nerdy that I read the, the, uh, the directions before I play it. I'll just put some quarters in and just see what happens. You know, if it's, if it's fun, and, uh, and, you know, and, and exactly just, just do it for the, for the sheer joy of it. You know? So tell me as a pinball connoisseur and Metallica fan, both, um, where does the Stern pinball Metallica machine rank in the, uh, you know, in, in the greater context of pinball in general, like, is it good? Is it mediocre? Is it average? Is it awesome? I, I don't, I probably don't know enough about pinball to really. And also, oh, I, also, I'm, I'm biased because it's Metallica. So, right, right. Well, I'm certainly no uh, uh, expert either. But, um, but to me, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fun game. There's, you know, there's enough going on. You know, um, I think some some pinball machines, like I think the the modern, like the like Iron Man or something like that, it's just, it's a little too you know, redundant and also irritatingly like, like they on, on Iron Man, they have, there's a, I believe it's Iron Man. They have a, like one of the bad guys is up front and he's got this really strong magnet. And if you hit him, it just goes fucking bonkers. And there's really nothing you can do to defend against it. And so it's just kind of a, it's kind of a quarter eater. Whereas yeah. um, at, at least, you know, Metallica has some, some things going on as far as modes and things you have to do to clear out and, um, and also it, if, if you get, if you, if you spend time on it, you can, you can stay alive for a long time. If you only have a dollar 50 and quarters, uh, you can still make an hour out of it, you know? So yeah, that, so, yeah that's I, good I to like hear. It. Yeah. I, I, I like it. I think being able to, yeah, quarter eater, that's a good, that's a great point. Some of those, some modern games do seem so over the top and so many, uh, figurative and literal bells and whistles that it's just annihilating you within a few seconds and it's like well this was a cool spectacle but it wasn't fun <laughs> exactly i you know i mean i i like i i like the the, the new ones with tvs on the on the mm. uh back glass but it it is irritating to me nowadays it seems intentional that basically if they're like all right now your mode is to do this but you have to look at the screen to see what's happening like what lane to shoot or what ramp to shoot next and if and looking at the back glass is not it is an easy way to lose a, a, a ball, you know. And so, like some of them, like Star Wars, um, I I I like to say that I I won't play that one unless I'm hanging out with a friend of mine who can read me the screen. So I have to do both. It's like yeah. man, I'm, you know, it's like sure I'd sure I'd love to watch the graphics when I'm doing something down here, you know. It's like the Millennium Falcon, like you need an engineer and a gunner and a co-pilot to exactly. help you. Um, well, if you're walking into an establishment with a wide array of pinball machines, you know, an arcade, a pinball place, a bar that's super into it, what are your go-tos? Like, what are you, what are you looking for when you're making a beeline for the machines? 
Um, well, there, I mean, I, mostly it's, you know, cause I, I'm a sort of a hermit when I'm at home, I kind of stick to the, to my neighborhood. So there's only, I don't know, probably six or seven machines that I play on a regular basis. Um, cause I'm sort of out of town, but, uh, so, so, so get classic games, not, not necessarily classic, but just games that I just don't see all the time or games that I, that I have really loved playing in the past that I'm like, Ooh, that one, I don't ever see that one. Like, I don't know, Creature of the Black Lagoon or, mm. um, Tales of the Arabian Nights, some of those. Um, uh, I was just at, uh, this new, uh, pinball bar here in Portland. They've got like 20 pins and, uh, and they have the new Black Knight, which is also, I was, I was very excited about that one. Um, so, so yeah, so it's, it's kind of a mix. It's really it's just yeah the novelty of, of something that I haven't seen in a long time. A good good friend of mine recently within the last year or so uh, purchased a Freddy Krueger pinball machine and has been. Oh, I've never played that one. How is it? Um, it's awesome. I haven't played one in a long time. I haven't played his because unfortunately him and I live uh, you know an hour away from each other. I played one a long time ago. A friend of mine in Indianapolis where I grew up had one for a long time and. Um, it's awesome. It's got like um, a lot of cool functionality, especially for that era, you know, in terms of like little props and gizmos that are inside there. Is it like a late 80s one or is it some like kind of retrospective of the whole movie series? Um, that's a good question because I, I feel like I feel like it's uh, Dream Warriors oriented. I could be okay. misremembering that. Right, so that's early '90s. I, 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 I think. No, well, Dream Warriors. Let's see. Uh, oh, that's '80s. I remember, for sure, I, yeah. yeah. I went to a buddy of mine and I. We were when I was a kid. We were um, really into the Freddy Krueger series, so we showed Same up to. Here. We showed up to one of those movies. Like I want to say, maybe it was four. It was a kind of a, it was a disappointing one, but uh, we we went to the theater covered in blood, fake blood. <laughs> to be clear, fake blood, people. Yeah. That's gnarly. And then I was like, that movie wasn't very good, and now I'm really sticky. <laughs> <laughs> I just looked it up, and it was uh, – the machine came out in 94. So I guess it okay. would have been so, – so, so, yeah, so it featured, like, elements from, from the first few movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's a funny story about that is uh, I was so into Freddy as a kid, you know, when the first movie – was out. I saw it in the theaters. I was probably a little too young to have seen it, but uh, my older brother helped me dress up as Freddy Krueger that Halloween. And it was before you, there weren't commercially available Freddy costumes. Like it wasn't like a thing that people were doing yet. So it was literally like all homemade. Like we made a little cardboard blades for the glove and, you know, got some like theater makeup and tried to approximate a burned up face. And could you, dude, you couldn't even find like a red and green sweater anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's that's funny. Uh, uh, John, uh, our drummer, he um, he had a sweater which we called his Freddy his his Freddy sweater, um, and it it and it, it was just spot on. It was amazing. There's something about, and of course I'm misremembering it now, but um, there's something about red and green together that causes some sort of issue uh, for people vision wise, which is why it's, it's not commonly a color that you're going to see like the Freddy sweater. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I haven't heard that specifically about red and green, but I think they're complementary colors. I think they're on the opposite ends of the spectrum so that, um, it makes your eyes wiggle a little bit to have like, like orange and blue next to each other is also kind of yeah. intense. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it was intentional. <laughs> yeah, totally. Right.
It's like, what's, what's the ugliest sweater we could put this guy in? There you go. <laughs> That's going to, like, hurt your eyes to look at. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I was a big fan of those films. Uh, still still am. And, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm your boyfriend now, Tina. Jeez, <laughs> Louise. Did they maybe not want to answer the phone for a while. <laughs> totally. Or or take a bath. Or, yeah, or, or go to sleep, <laughs> brother. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I went to go see Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, uh, by myself. And, uh, yeah, that wasn't necessarily a good one. But that was the one, if you remember, where... I did not see. I didn't even see that when I fell off the series because I think that, like, well, Dream Warriors, I thought was just like, what? You really, they're jumping the shark already on this one. It's just like ridiculous. So I, maybe that might have been the last one. Well, no, I think I, I saw some of Freddy versus Jason in space or whatever. <laughs> whatever that one was. They, they fought in a movie, right? They did. Um, I actually uh, visited the set of that movie. I, I was. think uh, they did. I don't know. No, they did. Uh, or at least I know there was Jason in space, right? That was yeah. That, that was that. That's a jump the shark. I'm yeah, that was uh, that was Jason X spaceship with Jason in it. Yeah, that was Jason X. There's been a a Jason in space. There's been a Leprechaun in space. There's been Hellraiser in space. I'm probably forgetting a few. A bunch of bunch of horror franchises eventually go to space when they can't figure out what what to do next. Yep, it's the jump the shark for the for, for horror, that's for sure. For sure. I actually, uh, once upon a time, I was a reporter for MTV News, and I actually did a visit to the set of Freddy vs. Jason. And, oh, yeah, that's rad. Yeah, I spent the whole day with Robert England, and yeah, it was, was badass. Nice, nice guy. He's fantastic. And he's like a, he's got that sort of like classically trained theater actor vibe, where it's like, you know, he's, he's iconically forever intertwined with this horror movie icon franchise character. And yet he's like this super sharp kind of little bit arty guy. Been super funny. Yeah. Well, I've heard, I can't even, I, this is awful because, and this is, this is probably telling of the whole, uh, the whole idea is that, you know, Booger from uh, Better Off Dead. Yes, of course. Well, he, I mean, apparently I, I've heard that he's a fairly serious actor or started out that way, and but then just got typecast as Booger. I mean, he's—I think he's still doing it in uh, um, American Dad. I think he's a voice <laughs> of essentially Booger, yeah. and and that I don't know his name, and I think of him as Booger. It's like I hope that it doesn't make him too sad. I mean, it's certainly a—he's made a career out of it, but he's—he probably didn't go into acting school thinking I can't wait to be an unctuous loser for the rest of my life. <laughs> a nervous, idiosyncratic, uh, irritating. Yeah, in fact, uh, to your point, you know, you said better off dead, and I knew who you meant immediately because, you know, what's, do you know the street value of this mountain? Exactly. Um, and yet Booger was the name of his character in Revenge of the Nerds, which... Oh, whoops. Yeah. No, no, which fully supports your point that he's essentially playing a variation of the same character movie after movie. and Yeah, he's still Booger. He just had a different name. Gosh, what? I want to say Moonlighting. I think he was on Moonlighting. Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard. You mean as a as a recurring character? Yeah, I think he was like a main character on, on that show. You know, other than those two. Wow. I, well, you know, and I actually watched Moonlighting. I'm not sure how cool that is, but I, mean, <laughs> I did. I, I did too. Yeah. Well, I mean, back you know, back in those days, you didn't, you couldn't watch, you know, uh, C-SPAN three and watch sumo wrestling or whatever. You you kind of were. It was either that or PBS or something. You're like, no. <laughs> yeah, and he was in um, uh, One Crazy Summer. 
as, as another, you know, booger-esque character. In yeah, a, in a, a jean jacket or jean or denim vest wearing uh, <laughs> yeah. no good Nick. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. He, you know, he's like you said, his thing is being like a serious actor. And Dolph Lundgren, who I'm a huge fan of, you know, who's who is thought of as, you know, a long headed, super buff action hero villain guy. Uh, he's like an MIT graduate and speaks multiple languages. <laughs> and like, has, like He's like a super brilliant genius. But he was the one. He he fought Rocky, right? Yeah, he's the I will crush you. That's him. Yeah, brainless Russian who yeah. apparently is not brainless at all. Not at not at all. And and uh, and English isn't his first language, but he speaks with almost no accent in everyday life. So he had to undo that, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, you know that. I mean, uh, not not to talk about myself, but I mean, I um, you know our videos are very um, you know a lot of them are beer oriented, so. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of that where I think that forever and ever I'm going to, well, I mean, I'm drinking a beer right now. Okay. Uh, that being said, it's like, that's a, pretty much what people think of me. It's like, I'm just the beer guy. Right. Like, Man, I'm not just a beer guy. You're like, sometimes I have, I ha- I have so much more to offer. Let's have exactly. a beer. Let's have a beer and talk about it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> rules. So, yeah. So Metallica, I also read somewhere how, for whom the bell tolls was a quintessential sort of gateway song for you in general. Tell me a little bit about that and, and tell me about young Brian and what some of your first musical discoveries were. And, and when you, when you started to hear things where you were like, Oh, music's going to be a big part of my life. Oh, uh, I think, you know, for me, music was always uh, a big part because my, because my mother was a, uh, she sang in uh, like a, choir in college and was always playing piano in the house and she oh, right. had music on pretty much all the time so you know i mean i wasn't listening to like super rad well i mean i like it still but whatever like i don't know like uh, uh oh what's that song uh betty davis eyes uh, <laughs> yeah was that um Is... she's got betty davis betty davis eyes kim carnes yes. kim carnes anyway. yeah. yeah and you know stuff like that and i just i just picked up uh uh, Xanadu on vinyl, dude. I saw uh, Xanadu in the theater. I'm showing my age, but uh, yeah, my mom took me to see Xanadu. <laughs> that's amazing. That's I, I wish I had. Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so that kind, that sort of, that sort of thing. I, you know, I think like she listened to you know a lot of folk stuff like uh, James Taylor, something like that. Anyway, so you know, I'd be, uh, you know, playing with my you know, Tonka truck or whatever. And, but there was always music on in the background. So I think I was, I was always sort of singing melodies as a kid. And I think another thing that, uh, I, I, I remember distinctly is that, uh, she would run the dishwasher before bed. So I'd be going to sleep. And if I had trouble sleeping, I would just listen to the, uh, or no, the, dry, uh, the dry, dryer and it would have this arrhythmic clunking sound. Mm-hmm. So, but I would make up rhythms and I would, and I would pick them out. And so I was basically constantly making rhythms out of, out of the, you know, the, the craziness of Ambient the dryer. Noise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're, you're, so. you're, you're making rhythms and you're also teaching yourself unwittingly uh, meditation techniques. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. it worked better than counting sheep, you know, I mean, yeah. I wasn't really good at math, so, uh, you know, it was easier than doing that. But uh, anyway, so I guess, I guess I was sort of predisposed to, you know, be keyed in on music. And then my, you know, I have an older brother and he got into, um, hard rock and I, and the first couple albums he 
turned me on to was like Van Halen, Fair Warning, and uh, ZZ Top, uh, uh, Eliminator, I think. Um, uh, anyway, I was I was I was pretty taken by that. I was like, wow, I didn't realize that you know this was out there because I was a little bit sheltered. Other than hearing Black Sabbath on uh, the Wolfman Jack show on the on my alarm clock radio and thinking Satan was coming out of the speakers, <laughs> I was I was literally afraid of it. I don't yeah. know, I was probably nine or ten. I was like, ah, yeah. Scary. But anyway, what you know, he turned me onto that stuff, and then I was just hooked, and and uh, and I and I think that um, it just kind of, kind of took off from there. I, I I he his taste in in music and mine diverged. He got into really heavy gnarly metal and i was and i was kind of leaning more towards punk rock that kind of thing oh but, interesting uh, yeah my, my uh older siblings are so crucial and i have my older brother who's five years older than me he when i was very young he he was responsible for getting me into adam and the ants and hanoi rocks he showed me hanoi rock you know some stuff that i'm that i still love but yeah at a certain point we diverged where yeah, he was more into the hair metal thing for a minute, and I was never really into that. And I got into, uh, you know, thrash and punk and hardcore and all of that. And then as adults, I mean, we've come back around full circle on certain things. But um, he's now very into, I don't know if I don't know if you describe it as roots rock, but you know, stuff that's kind of more on that a little twangier side of uh-huh. of rock, I guess. Um, Leon Russell was like a big hero of his. I'm always fascinated by. You know, what kind of music was around the house for people that grow up to do bands and then also, you know, siblings, only children and how, you know, because that stuff's so crucial. You know, yeah, well, and also, you know, I mean, definitely, I think, you know, music is a uh, is a, a way to, you know, you know, create a, your identity because you yeah. don't really have a whole lot going on. You know what I mean? You're in you're in you know junior high what what can you really say that sets you apart from anybody else other than like oh i have break first period or whatever you know so you <laughs> so you want to be somebody well then say you know you get your you know, you know rock t-shirt or whatever and you're like yeah. all right I'm, this is me or whatever it's like yeah well no it's not that's that's actually you just helped out a band you're not really that but whatever you know <laughs> i never thought about it that way and that's a that's a great point those sort of like even even in the sort of Almost the more iconoclastic and non-conformist that you are at that age, the more sort of basic you are. Because <laughs> you're right. Because yeah, because yeah, you're trying to carve out an identity for yourself, and so you're looking for something that's going to stand out and be unique. That's a great way to look at it. It's true. This was a, it's the my first day of high school. Uh, I think I, I I I saw my first metal concert that summer. I was Dio for for uh, Sacred Heart. Dude, anyway, Dio, so I had... Dio was my first metal concert. High five! Oh no way! Yeah, rad. Uh, what, what tour? Uh, it was Dio, Megadeth, and Sabotage, nineteen eighty-eight. And I, uh, truth be told, as much as I love Dio now and share a middle name and initials with him, I went for Megadeth. Uh, at the time, I wasn't really? I wasn't as hip to Dio. And Sabotage canceled for some reason. It was, they were on the bill, but they did not perform. But, uh, yeah, legendary show. I, I want to say that was for Dio Dream Evil. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, still have my Megadeth shirt from that show, actually. It doesn't necessarily yeah. fit, but. <laughs> well, you can't get rid of it. I, but I, know, I can't my get wife rid of keeps, it. My, my wife keeps trying to get me to get rid of T-shirts. My T-shirt drawers, essentially 99% black 
band t-shirts <laughs> yeah but i just but you know and, and i don't wear probably 90 percent of them but i but they're you know they're keepsakes for me it's, it's i i'm like well i just can't do it absolutely it bring, you know whatever that uh, that show is you know it's like it, they br- they bring me joy so <laughs> <laughs> yeah get rid but, of it uh, if it doesn't bring you joy this brings me joy damn it i need i need to open this drawer and smell crusty screen print <laughs> from decades exactly. ago exactly <laughs> yeah um, yeah. But anyway, so so I so the first day of high school, I I went and I was and I wore my Do shirt and a pair of like their uh, like really long floral print uh, jams shorts. Amazing. And um, anyway, I thought I was pretty cool. But uh, one of some uh, you know, so I was a freshman and uh, there was you know some you know older kid, sophomore, junior, or something uh, on the bus was like. What's this? What are you, a surfer or a meddler? Figure it out. And which, and, 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 and which was like really shitty to me. I'm like, and I'm, you know, I'm just sort of, I'm, I've got thin skin. So I was like, oh no. So my whole, pretty much my whole freshman year, all I wore was cut off jean shorts, black chucks, and plain shirts. I would, I would never, I was like, I do not want to be identified by anything because someone will notice. So I was just, oh man! I was like, I'm going to keep it to myself. I don't want to get judged. But then I I grew up. And I grew out of it, and you know, got a mohawk and all this stupid shit. But you know, I was like, no, I am this, whatever. But for for it kind of stunted me a little bit as far as my fashion. Yeah, dude. I mean, what a torturous, brutal, <laughs> ritualistic haze that uh, middle school and, and high school were. I, I like to think that kids have it. A little better now for all of the failings and criticisms that are that abound. Did you ever see the Twenty One Jump Street movie? Um, the modern one or the the mo- the the, uh, the modern one with uh, Channing Tatum and uh, Jonah Hill? Uh, yes, I think, but it did not it did not uh, sink in. I think it was just like surface yucks, and now it's just fallen out of my brain completely. Oh, well, what makes me think about it is, uh, you know, they. So Jonah Hill was a nerd in high school, and Channing Tatum was super cool, jock, popular guy. And then when they go back to high school now, undercover, um, being a good-looking jock who's not that bright uh, makes you a loser, <laughs> and being like Jonah Hill makes you super cool. And it's I don't know, it's just funny. Like right, right. Um, you know, the popular kid is like gay, and this other kid is you know. <laughs> <laughs> the drug dealer right, school, yeah, yeah, and I, I think I recall they were, you know, talking about the having a backpack on on two shoulders was the nerdiest thing ever. But then they <laughs> yeah. get there and everyone's wearing it, the, a backpack the way it's meant to be. Exactly. Worn. So I, I like to think that there's been some correction that's happened that's made it a little less hellish for kids than it was for us. But the, I, I don't know. You know what? I I, I kind of have to disagree with you. I think it's ex- it's, it's ex- exactly as bad. Um, it's just not bad in the same way that mm. as, as we experienced it. I mean, I yeah. think, well, and not to get too deep into politics or anything, but it does seem like, um, the, the ideologies because of the internet and, you know, the, the, the hyper connectivity every, the, these kids have, it's, you know, you're the, the thought police is on, on patrol, man. Yeah. It's like if you say something too left, you say something too right. You, it's like you're constantly being judged, trolled, that kind of thing. I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, the amount of dumb things that I did when I was a kid 
if they were recorded on the internet, I mean, I I would lose my shit. You oh, know what I mean? I'm, I would, I'm, I would I'm just... thankful every day that I didn't have YouTube when I was first trying to do music or, you know, like imagine, imagine, imagine YouTube videos of like your first jam sesh or something. Exactly. Or yeah. Let alone, uh, you know, talking into your camera on MySpace or something like I just, whew, I'm glad I don't have that stuff floating around out there. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's crazy. It's gonna, I mean, there's, it's, that's, I'm, you know, constantly evolving, but right now I think it's in a pretty, the kids are in a pretty precarious place as far as, you know, like people getting hazed um, on on the internet. I mean, I'm sure it's it's the there's there's got to be teen suicides that are caused by someone just you know someone catching an embarrassing moment. Oh, definitely. Some, some yeah. kid at school, and then they just post it, and then the entire school is, you know, resharing, and it's and they're the laughing stock for the school for something that maybe one person could you know have like tell the story, whatever. Like, oh, I don't believe it, but now it's just like there's proof of everything. You you are exposed all the time it sounds it just seems it's it's real 1984 man it's yeah i I don't i wouldn't like it i mean i personally don't have a facebook you know pay well i do but i don't i haven't looked at it in like three years i just that whole element of your hyper exposure especially for young people that haven't really figured out who they are yet you know like i was saying it's like i I don't know who i'm yet who i am yet so i'm not going to wear any kind of clothes that identify me as one thing or another um you can't really get away with that anymore because you will be you will be put in a box on you know publicly it's it's ugh. yeah and like it. you said with the thought police being out in full force and that being such a crucial time of uh, experimentation and figuring things out and and solidifying who you are and where your values are and what separates you from your parents and who your social group's going to be to ha- to be under such heightened and very public as you said scrutiny right now as you're going through that yeah that's as much as yeah as much as i was kind of celebrating some of the things that used to be stigmatized that are now accepted yeah you're absolutely right on the flip side um you're you're on the world stage almost immediately and and you know under a microscope as you're you know fidgeting around in the dark trying to feel things out yeah and it's it's gonna discourage um the natural types you know i I go back and forth because like this this recent uh youtube purge that happened you know just in the last few days as we're taping this podcast on the one hand yeah absolutely i love cleaning up the interwebs from stuff that's you know radicalizing people and creating mass shooters and on the flip side i'm such a uh, i mean fewer values are as important to me as free speech and liberty. And, you know, I like to think that we should be able to take in all the information and discern it and and draw our own conclusions. And that all the information, even really bad ideas should be available. And it's the responsibility of people with the better ideas to um, highlight those and deconstruct them or destroy them. So I have this kind of, you know, and it's such a slippery slope. It's like, you know, one minute it's the Burzum YouTube channel, but then what, you know, what's going to class qualify as uh, something that must be banished, you know, next week. If, if it's, it's easy when it's something that's easier to agree upon for everyone, but then what happens when it's that much worse? So anyway, I guess my point there is I feel like kids need to, and young adults even need to have some leeway, some freedom to, 
have bad ideas, <laughs> you know, and, and, yeah, and, yeah. and then have them challenged, you know, and, um, and kind of figure it out. But, uh, yeah, so I have no, I have no answer to that question, but it's something. No, well, you know, I think it's, it's, it's something for, it's something for the kids to figure out. I mean, it's the next generations, you know, I mean, they're the ones who are, who are making it, you know, it's, it's their, their, it's their world. They're building it. And so they've got to find their pitfalls. And I just feel like like right now there's a shitload of pitfalls. So, yeah. Which I, you know, I just worry about, you know, and, and the, and you know, and this is going to sound shitty, but like the, the thing that concerns me and, and this happens not just with say me Too movement, but the court of public opinion. And, um, you know, I'm playing devil's advocate like crazy, but like, sure. I don't know anyone, even like R. Kelly or whatever. It's just like, obviously, he seems obviously guilty, you know, to me. But it's like, but he he was made guilty by the Internet way before there was a court case. It's like, OK, there, there does seem to be overwhelming evidence and I'm looking at it. But then again, as far as, you know, that documentary. But uh, but it's like, but this hasn't been looked at by, you know, a, 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 a jury of his peers, you know, and I just I just feel like. You know, a lot of people like, um, oh, what's uh, what's that guy's name? Um, a Democrat from I think what is it, Minnesota? Uh, uh, Al Franken. Comedian, Al, Al Franken, Franken. Yeah. That he that he basically, you know, just just so that you know he he didn't want to be, uh, you know, two faced about the whole thing. So he was like, okay, well, yeah, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna resign because of these accusations. But it's a, but there was no court case there. There was no actual guilt. There was just someone leveled a claim at him and. And because of the the world says, okay, yeah, you're guilty, but it's like, all right, but where does that end? You know, I mean, are people? Yeah, and it's also interesting when people like Al Franken uh, could sort of allow themselves to be held to that higher standard and come forward and and offer this offer contrition, and then they get blasted ten times harder. Whereas you have somebody like you know Roy Moore, the child molester that was <laughs> running for elected office. And just denying, 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 and lying about it, it seems like then you can you're allowed to kind of keep cruising. I would I would say devil's advocate wise too, you know, as you said, you know, someone like R. Kelly or Michael Jackson or whatever being tried in the court of public opinion, on the devil's advocate side, on the other direction, I sometimes am concerned that there is so much information available that. Now, you know, the whole idea of the court system being proving something beyond a reasonable doubt, Re reasonable doubt is now being introduced into everything. And that's where and that's where we're ending up with, you know, a president that can say, I don't know, maybe it was Russia, maybe it was China, maybe it was a 400 pound guy on his bed. And that's sort of like our new attitude about everything, you know, like. I don't know, but maybe not. Maybe the Earth is right. flat, you know. And it's like overwhelming evidence that the Earth is round, but oh, maybe it's flat, you know. Like yeah, there's there's, a, there's flat Earthers at all. It's just mind blowing. Absolutely. Me. Yeah, and I actually I actually <laughs> yeah. found out just a couple of days ago that I'm uh, an acquaintance of mine is a is a bona fide flat Earther, and it really it, it it's really no. it, dude, and it's really shocking when you put a face on it, and when it's like that's a human being I've interacted with who. Seems re like a reasonable, normal person, and is full on flat Earth. And but you get along with, with this person in other respects. Yeah, I, w I wouldn't even say that we're friends. It's more of a, a acquaintance. But um, but yeah, still, even just finding that out was like, woof, wow, so crazy. It's like, man, it's like, 
do man oh well, whatever i can't it's and that crazy. does make and that does give me a little bit of you know yeah scrub every flat earth video off youtube because look what's happened but no they're they're incredibly entertaining i mean someone's <laughs> like well look we're in a plane you can see the the edge of the earth it's flat you're like oh, yeah. all right man well on the varg well, thing j- just to kind of bring it to our little you know extreme music subculture whatever you want to call it of course, you know, no reasonable person supports Varg Vikerns or his terrible ideas. That doesn't mean that I haven't been entertained by them from time to time. <laughs> right, yeah. It takes <laughs> all kinds. I have watched his dumb videos, you know, like, so, yeah. And, and again, the, the, the liberty and free speech part of me goes like, man, all of the the bad ideas should be available. I would just hope that the force of the better ideas is enough to um to win a fair fight you know let's keep a let's keep a level playing playing field with all these platforms but i don't know yeah it's 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 just really interesting these days i mean you know i was just uh you know watching a samantha b episode and mm-hmm. uh and they were showing that that tv or, or that um basically they can mimic people people <coughs> Like they can basically take someone's face and put it on someone else's face and you and basically make someone make a video of someone saying anything they they want to. Yeah. And and voice uh, uh, mimicry is not far behind. So really, as far as this whole fake news thing goes, soon it will be so hard to tell what is real and what is fake. You can't just say. Well, look, I'm looking at a video of this politician saying this thing. It's like, well, but that, that might not be real, you know? I mean, yeah. who knows? I mean, I, I mean, where are we going to get our actual, you know, factual information? You know, once once the the internet has grown to the size that basically it eclipses, you know, CNN or any or Fox or any other news agency, and it's just people out there making up, you know, fake realities. And you're just and you're just attack. You know, you're being yeah. assaulted by them on a daily basis. I mean, where do you, how do you even navigate that? I mean, I, I mean, I don't think it's going to be. I don't. I, I don't foresee in my lifetime. I mean, I'm I'm getting on fifty, so uh, you know, I don't really see this dystopian future that I'm sort of envisioning really affecting me as much as as much as you know, you know, millennials. But uh, they they got a tough road ahead, man. They, yeah. I mean, Reality's being mutated. It's like it's scary to me. I remember having a conversation with two friends of mine uh, when Osama bin Laden was killed, and one of my friends said, "Well, you know, I don't know if I believe that they actually killed him. I mean, there's no photos of the body, and it's convenient that they did a burial at sea, and you know, who knows if that's just, if that's propaganda or whatever." And then the other friend says. I don't know if I believe Osama bin Laden ever existed. And we're like, wait, what? You know, and he's like, he's like, yeah, I mean, that could just be an actor and a boogeyman that's been created by our government. And then I, and then I rewind even further back um, as a teenager in my local metal and hardcore scene in the late 80s and early 90s, we had a little bit of a Nazi skinhead problem, which I think was not uncommon in the scene at that time. And I remember having an argument with two Nazi skinheads once and, you know, they were uh, doing the Holocaust denial thing that Nazi skinheads are prone to do. And, you know, your my immediate response is to say there is 
there are volumes of documentation that that is a historical fact. And I was like, there's film. You can watch it. And those guys saying to me, and this is this was in like the late 80s, early 90s, those guys said, yeah, you can also watch Star Wars. That looks pretty real. So yeah. it's it's terrifying that it's getting closer and closer. We're, we're probably already there, right, to be able to completely fake something. But on the flip side, it's also very dangerous that we've, you know, whether it's the moon landing, like, you know, there's so many things that already have been, when there's so much doubt thrown around and we can't agree upon a certain set of facts, you know, three friends having a conversation where one's going, hey, did you hear they killed Bin Laden? And the second friend says, I don't know if I believe they did that. And the third one says, I don't know if I believe he existed. <laughs> it's like, where do you, <laughs> what are we even talking about then? You know, like. Exactly. Yeah. We, you know, I mean, I one of my uh, favorite movies I saw when I was a kid was uh, Capricorn One. I don't know if you ever saw yes. that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, so so you know, and I think movies are are a reflection of uh, the anxieties of the time, and so I Absolutely. mean, that movie probably came out in what the late seventies, early eighties, um, and I and I think that was something that was on people's minds even way back then. I I totally agree, and and um, you know, if you that movie also has O.J. Simpson in it. <laughs> oh, speaking of does. speaking of reasonable doubt. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, it's just, it's real scary. I mean, that was something we really worried about back then. And now I feel like, um, people are using it, um, that anxiety or that, that, um, you know, people's doubting what they're told and, and manipulating people into just believing whatever they say, because like you say, it's like, you're, you're talking to some guys like, you know, you got three people and one of them thinks that Osama bin Laden you know, wasn't killed. The other one thinks doesn't exist. So now, you know, and like I say, I hate talking politics, but I mean, not these days, you know, it's like, I feel like the current administration, um, is, it's is, is capitalizing on that in a, in yes. a major way and, and in a, and in a very effective way. I mean, as much, as much as I dislike a lot of, um, their policies, um, most of them true, truth be told, but, uh, um, he, he, they're very good at, um, at adjusting people's or, or communicating to people through an, on an emotional level yes. and, and, and casting doubt on, on reality because, because it forwards their means and, you know, you can, you, whatever side of the fence you sit on, you, you gotta, you gotta hats off to, to, to these guys for somehow it's well, it's just incredible, and it's and it's just concerning that 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 is so effective. And I'm not saying that right wingers are the only ones who are doing it. It's you know, yeah. it's it's a, it's a tactic, and it's and it's disingenuous, but it's so effective that you you got to be like, oh well, yeah, it's it's working for you. Yeah, yeah there was a uh, reporter. I think maybe she was in Pittsburgh or something like that. But there was a, there was a reporter who had this quote where she said. You know, that uh, liberals, I'm paraphrasing, but basically that that conservatives take Trump seriously, but not literally, and liberals take him uh, literally, but not seriously. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that sums up a lot of that divide. And I think, yeah, as you said, it's a very effective propaganda tool and not just to single out the current administration and the United States, but historically speaking, when you can 
cause people to be so overwhelmed by the flood of information and the contradictory and you know the the battles of the the different viewpoints and when, if you can get everyone to doubt reality and the set of agreed upon facts and it's much easier to get people to just give up and stop paying attention altogether because it's like i don't know who knows whatever and then you know right yeah and then and, you win and and and, and they're and they're it's just basically just speaking to people's emotions instead of their intellect and yeah um and that seems to be where people would rather be you know in in general so yeah yeah there's a whole bunch of um you know i feel i feel like a lot of politics right now are a lot of people going you like that you like that take that you like that <laughs> you like that <laughs> like a lot of this weird retaliatory sort of um you know well, i used to I, I felt like you looked down on me, so now I look down on you. <laughs> I gotcha. You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it used to. It, I mean, it, it, it. When I was growing up, it it felt like there. I mean, there was still, you know, people, you know, do, jabbing each other on, you know, you know, below the belt. But uh, it just seemed like it had so much more decorum. And now it's just yes. like, it's like what? It's it's like fucking theater it's bullshit it's it is all like bullshit, theater yeah you know? and it and it used to also have the vibe that you know the whole thing of like i can talk shit about my dad but if if you say something about my dad we're gonna fight it used to kind of have that vibe and now that's you know if you remember obviously the uh huge huge controversy and scandal when one of the dixie chicks said something very mild about the president while overseas on foreign soil and now we literally have a president who's sitting in front of grave markers you know on the anniversary of d-day trashing his political opponents um and it's just like that's well okay that's, that's where we are now i guess right that is not that is not the forum for that behavior you know no. it's like people died so that you so that you could stand there and say whatever you want but i don't think that was the, the point of, <laughs> of him doing that yeah exactly and then and you're, yeah. you're literally standing on the bodies of people who died because it was so important for you know to maintain you know people's people's right to you know to liberty and and you're going to use it to be a dick all right whatever <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly uh, it, yeah it's just it, it is the age of the troll right now for sure yeah so uh you know who never gets political is metallica <laughs> they have uh and they, there's definitely some differing political views within that band, and I think they've done a great job. Of, uh, they've done a good job of, without compromising, that there's different people in the band with different views. They don't really, um, they seem very careful to make sure they don't alienate anyone in their audience. Right, well, I'll tell you this, this is, I mean, I generally don't speak about politics at all because, I, you know, I mean, my views don't, you know, uh, reflect the your whole rest band, of the band or your audience, of course. But these days, it's just like to, to me, it's like, look, man, you, you know, you you can't sit on the fence at, on <laughs> at this point. You really, it's yeah. just ridiculous. Anyway, but yeah. like you know, but I respect other people's viewpoints. I'm not saying that I'm right and they're wrong. It's just oh, I, I don't think you come off that I, way I, at all. I, I think this is also kind of part of the thought police is that we're because um, I'm like I'm like you, and I avoid these conversations for the most part, especially within a public platform um, like a podcast, even, but. By the same turn, yeah, we, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't have to be afraid to, uh, you know, that someone's going to express your opinion. You yeah. know, you have an opinion, express it. But that's how severe the divide is, is that if you even sound like you're, because I, I don't consider myself part of 
you know, any political party. Um, but if you, if you say the wrong thing, that's going to incite someone on either side of that spectrum, suddenly they're, they're canceling you. You're canceled. Right. Sure. I mean, you know, I mean, it's this, if this, here's an example, um, you know, we don't do anything political really on our, you know, our, our, uh, social media, mm-hmm. but we did make an exception because our, our friend Herbie from, uh, Thor, our valiant Thor, he, um, he and some friends did a you go uh, or go fund me for supplies for the um the south dakota uh oil oh, yeah. oil yeah, yeah. oil line thing so anyway mm-hmm. so um and and it was very successful they they filled like i don't know a, a bunch of vans full of like food and and warm clothes and tents and camping supplies and stuff and and sent them up there because people were in extreme weather conditions trying to protect their land and it was something they believed in so anyway they they contacted us and said do you mind reposting this and and we all decided we're like no man that's humanitarian it's it's not even political it's just these these people these are americans doing something they believe in and don't we don't want them to suffer and or die from you know the exposure so i this is not even political this is humanitarian so anyway Mm -hmm. we posted it anyway here come the trolls you know i mean there were there were comments like oh i knew you fucking i i I, I can't believe Red Fang's a bunch of fucking snowflakes, <laughs> whatever. But I'm yeah. so glad I I'm so glad I never paid for an album, paid for a song. I just I'm glad I pirated all your music. I'm never listening to you again. I'm like, whoa, because we don't want people to die. Then we're the pariahs. It's just crazy. You know what I mean? So so yeah, waiting in these days, oof, it's it can get it can get nasty. It can get nasty really fast, and especially if you don't conform to a cookie cutter caricature on either side of what you're supposed to think, you know, whatever your, your team is for in the team sports. And, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I often find myself in conversations where I'm too much of this for somebody, but not enough of this. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So for whom the bell tolls, <laughs> <laughs> right. Full circle. Where did, uh, where did you first hear that? Was that an older brother? moment or did that come some yeah from else? i guess yeah i think he my bro my brother bought the cassette i remember listening to it on uh on uh our boom box and uh i got to that song i don't the first time i'd ever listened to the to the uh to the album and i was you know i mean i just the sound of it all the way around just the just everything about it the production value just the, how aggressive it was it was kind of kind of you it transported you to some kind of weird new place that I was like this is amazing but I mm. got to that song and that bass solo intro was just yes. mesmerizing to me I'm like oh my god well I didn't even under I didn't realize that it was a bass right thing I <laughs> thought it was a guitar thing for years until yeah. I saw a live video I'm like oh my god it's Cliff Burton that's amazing but uh yeah I re I rewound that song like three times before I could even move on to the next track because I was like, that is the best song I've ever heard. It so it, it just blew me away. That whole idea of being transported that you described, that's such a crucial thing to me about uh, Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets in particular, you know, whether it's Orion or Call of Cthulhu, where there's, you know, there aren't vocals, obviously, or something like Ride the Lightning or a Creeping Death. Like, they really... Uh, you know, took my young mind and, and took me places, you know, like they're, yeah, they're so man, like, like cinematic, a, you know, it, it, I, I agree completely. Yeah. That's it's, it's, it, you can 
close your eyes and listen to that stuff and you can be on, you know, a different planet, different plane, you know, it's, I mean, that's, I think that's the beauty of, you know, good, good music. It doesn't have to be heavy metal or whatever, but you know, whatever you're doing, if it can, if it can take you somewhere else, I mean, I think that, well, for me, probably music was an escapism thing. And so yeah. I guess maybe I was looking for the most effective escapism I could, you know, I could find. And I, and I think I found it in that album. And, and still to this day, I hear it, you know, uh, I, I put it on and it's just as good as when I first listened to it. Absolutely. And, and Ride the Lightning has a song on it literally called Escape. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which they didn't play for. They never played it live until recent years. Uh, I think Hetfield hates that song, if I remember that. Oh, yeah. My Metallica okay. lore correctly. <laughs> when was the first time that you saw them play? Uh, first time I saw them play was probably 1989, maybe. Oh. I, uh, you, uh, so people can fact check me. They can troll me if they want. <laughs> but uh, uh, it was they were opening for uh, Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, that might have been 86, actually. Yeah, it's messed up. Like, it was it was Aussie, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if my parents would let me go in '86. I would that would have been thirteen, well, maybe. Let me, let me possible. Let me ask you this: Was it Cliff or Newstead? It was. Oh God, I, I believe it was Cliff Burton. I believe then it, then it had to be '86. It was. I think it was Ultimate Sin tour. Uh, it was definitely '86. <laughs> okay. Well, the, the you, and, story, and, and each new anecdote, I'm like, okay, yeah, definitely. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I mean, you know, at least somebody's got to know what's going on. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm I'm Captain Vague, uh, but I remember the the thing about that is like we were really excited because we'd, uh, yeah, I guess they were touring on Master. Pu I think it was Master of Puppets. Is what they, they were, were what yeah. they were playing. And they, and they and they toured puppets from. You know, or yeah, it was like early '86 into early '87, because um, they, because okay. yeah, because they jumped right back in with both feet with Newstead and continue. You know, I think they went to Japan was the first tour with him, but uh, but yeah, that was uh, that would have been '86. Yeah, the the story that I that I like to tell about that was that it was my brother and his buddy Eric and I we were, we were going to the show and. uh uh, anyway, we get to the place and it's, and it's a good half an hour drive from, from our house. And, uh, we get there and my brother realizes he's left the tickets at home. <laughs> well, like, there's there's uh, no, there's no iPhone to pull up the PDF. <laughs> oh no, no. So, so we, so we just got back in the car and my brother drove on residential streets, 80 miles an hour the whole way. It was the most <laughs> death defying I was like, oh, my God, it's not worth dying over. I mean, I was really bummed that we were going to miss Metallica. But I think my brother was even more so because he's like, well, put your seatbelts on because I am I may kill you <laughs> trying to see this band. But we made it. We saw the whole set. It was fucking tight. We walked in and they'd start. So That rules. Anyway. And they had, yeah. and they had the, the production, too, right, where they had, like, the crosses on stage. And <clears throat> it's kind of, you know, knowing what you know about being in a touring band now, it always kind of blows my mind that, you know, Ozzy had an opening band that had all that stage production. And like, cause you know, now it's like, you guys get 
six inches on stage, and you uh, you got to sell your T-shirts for forty bucks like we do, and uh, and you get you, know. you get half the PA power. <laughs> you get half no the PA shirt. power, no backdrop, yeah. or or you get to hang your postage stamp backdrop in the middle of our <laughs> gargantuan backdrop. Right. Yes, I, I remember seeing Motorhead open for Slayer, and Motorhead was really quiet, and I was like, man. This is uh, bullshit because I was as excited to see Motorhead as Slayer. I mean, I love Slayer, but I bet we saw so like, that same tour. Was that Slayer, Motorhead, and Overkill? That's uh, that sounds right. I saw them. That was that was definitely '89. Uh, yeah, I bet that would be the tour because I, I saw them in '88, and it was Slayer, Motorhead, and Overkill. I think one part of that tour might have been Slayer, Motorhead, and the Chromags. Uh, but when it came to my tour, it was Overkill. I actually just had. Uh, Bobby the Blitz from Overkill on this podcast. Um, oh, no shit. So that will probably have been out by the time people are listening to this. But yeah, we talked about that show and, and that tour. Still like a, a crucial tour in the Overkill history. And I remember actually them having uh, some staging. They had like scrims, which was unusual at the time. And they had uh, a little drum riser, which was, of course, way out in front of Dave Lombardo's drum riser. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But but it had like uh, the Overkill logo that would light up, and, uh, and of course I had no idea back then. But I found out years later that they built all of that shit themselves. Well, scrims are a, a really great way to have stage stuff without having to clutter, you know, to have to rent a truck or something like that. You know, yeah. it's like they they roll up into nothing. They're tiny. Yeah, they roll up into nothing, and they can cover up. Uh, yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot easier than bringing a bunch of dummy cabs. <laughs> <laughs> right exactly. pretend you have giant I, I still can't believe people do that it's like come on guys if, you just, if you're gonna bring them have speakers in them and run them but yeah whatever otherwise no, i mean i get it yeah. it's, it's it's theater I, I mean it's just you know it's a show you, you're putting on a show and and that that's so i get it but i mean we're just we're, that's not our style you know yeah um speaking of speaking of uh uh dave lombardo i, I remember seeing him at the Casbah in San Diego in the I don't know late '90s with the uh, Fantomas, mm. and he brought his and you know the, I don't know if you're familiar with the Casbah in San Diego, but it's a very small club. Yeah. I don't know, maybe yeah. 200 caps, something like that. And you know, I mean, the stage is small as well. But he brought his whole drum kit, including gongs and shit, and he <laughs> took up half the whole freaking stage. I was like, oh my god! It was I mean, it was awesome to be able to see that up close, you know. But I was like. And then, and then you maybe just, not brought one floor, Tom. I don't know. Dude, then did you what? And then is Mike Patton just like on the floor? <laughs> you know, he's on the other side. All the rest of the band is on the on stage left, and, and oh, Dave wow. Lombardo is facing <laughs> stage left, and he took up the entire <laughs> stage right. It was fucking insane. That's amazing. But it was, but it was awesome. I mean, that yeah, yeah. Play, you know, I mean, it's that, yeah. He's well known. one of my favorite drummers of all time. But yeah, but that is, that is a little spinal tap, <laughs> nevertheless. <laughs> That's pretty awesome, but uh, yeah. So other Metallica shows, what were um, what stands out to you uh, seeing them in the intervening years since that first time? Um, well, we played that uh, uh, the uh, Orion Music and More Festival yes, in, in Jersey, and uh, I think seeing them play, they did. It, they were going to do they were going to do what the Black Album one night, and and they were going to do ride the lightning the other night and they, yeah. didn't, they didn't say which was which because i don't think they they wanted some you know people to be like well i'm not going to the you know right that show or whatever um but we lucked out the day we were there it was uh it was ride the lightning and what's and, interesting uh, is they did the black album backwards i think because you know they recognized 
you know, you want to end with sad but true and inner Sandman. <laughs> like, so well, that was they, the they thing. They cheated like, a little bit. Well, they did the same with Ride the Lightning. Oh, did they? Interesting. So they well, I had started a, I with had Cthulhu? Uh, no, no, no. It was Fade to Black was the, hmm. I think, isn't that the end? Or no, is it Call of Cthulhu the last one? Yeah. Well, they reversed it, because, and I, and I know this because uh, I had a $5 bet with my friend that was there, and uh, I was like, no way, they've got to play it front to back, because it's the album, you play the album, you know, right. people are going to be, be along for the ride, Yeah. and he's like, I don't know, man, it's like, they probably want to end with, you know, like, with, what's the first track, Ride the Lightning? Uh, fight, fire with, fight Fire with Fire, yeah. Fight Fire with Fire, right, yeah. so I mean, that's a perfect... Although I don't, I think they did some encore, so it didn't so it really wouldn't have mattered. They could have played the thing front to back and uh -huh. then ended with some other hits. But uh, anyway, so so they do it backwards. I pay him his five bucks. He's like, like yeah. And then he's like, yeah, I was because James Hetfield came um, backstage before we played our set, um, which I sort of browned out because I because I was like starstruck. That doesn't happen to me. But I was like, oh my god, it's fucking. Oh, this is this is the place to talk about it. By the way, is this is literally what this podcast is. So, okay. <laughs> feel free to elaborate on every detail. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will. We well, when we booked that, we got booked for that show. Uh, we we were told that it was curated by Metallica and mm -hmm. that all the bands were picked by ba the band members. Anyway, we were like, well, this is a great opportunity, but I'm but I'll believe. I'll believe that they curated or that, that Metallica has heard our band when I meet them face to face. <laughs> right. I just right. don't fucking believe it anyway. So, so we get there and, and it was like, I don't know, 10 minutes before our set. And, uh, our tour manager comes up to us and says, guys, stand right here. James Hetfield's, uh, you know, uh, dude is, uh, says that James wants to meet you. So he wants you all wrangled someplace so he can just walk over. Wow. We're like, okay. And so he shows up, and I'm like, holy shit, that is James Hetfield. It's crazy. And I don't really re even remember talking to him, um, but, I, but I do remember punching him on the shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I, you just punched James Hetfield. What are you doing, you idiot? But anyway, but, you know. I just, yeah, I all, 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 of, all of a sudden it's just the Chris Farley show, right? Like, uh, <laughs> remember, oh, remember when you played, that that, played an Explorer <laughs> every day? That was cool. <laughs> Yeah. That was just, I, I, if I was that articulate, I'd be impressed. But, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, anyway, so so after I'm paying off the um, uh, the five dollars for the bet, he's like, "Yeah, it's crazy." When um, when James Hetfield was side stage, I asked him whether you because uh, you know I told him about our bet, and he he didn't tell me what you were gonna what they were gonna do, but I told him about it. I'm like, man. <laughs> let five dollars back you influenced the bet it's like it's like insider trading or something but uh anyway no i didn't actually take the five dollars back it was fine but anyway it was just it was just funny i was like man you can't do that <laughs> but yeah that was incredible and just and just seeing them do all those songs was so great because i mean i you know i think i think that you know they're a great band um but you know their discography is not not everything it grabs me, you know, I, sure. I think like, like load and reload weren't, you know, they just weren't, I don't think they were written for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, obviously, obviously millions of record sales, um, it's, it, you know, it's like there's, there's an audience for it. So, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, just to get to see all those songs that were just so influential to me, you know, that, you know, really inspired me to play guitar and, and, you know, yeah. and do music, you know, it was, it was, it was 
it was a it was a big moment, you know, and also just just how how crazy to things like I'm I played vaguely near Metallica. It's amazing. You know? <laughs> Metallica adjacent. <laughs> yeah, at the, I was a Metallica uh, adjacent. Yes, at the uh, second Orion music that they did, the one in, in Michigan, um, I was uh, the manager for Dillinger Escape Plan and uh, also the band All Shall Perish, and both bands, you know, got asked to do Orion and. You know, Metallica being my favorite band of all time and, you know, Greg being one of my best friends. And it was just like the whole, uh, there was just so much about it that was just such a like, ah, goosebumps. And I was like, of course I'm going, you know, it's as a manager, it's not often that a band is on a festival and I'm like, oh, I better go out to that festival. But in that case, I'm like, oh, oh do you guys, should I just TM both bands or? Yeah, it was really cool because uh, Kirk actually came out and introduced All Shall Perish and then Rob Trujillo came out and introduced Dillinger and it's just like man I mean you know could they be any more giving and <laughs> and awesome oh too, it's, yeah, incredible. yeah yeah James he James Hetfield introduced us and I was like what is happening I feel like I'm in a bizarro world of Star Trek episode or something you know oh you buried but, uh, you buried the lead by the way you didn't mention that part <laughs> he introduced you guys. you buried your lead you didn't tell me that uh, Hetfield uh introduced you oh know. he did yes and, and well and the other fun fact is that uh I'm not going to say who in the band, but one of us was was in drop D and the first song was in E. So the first song, well, you can imagine it was a whole step off. <laughs> so I remember looking over going, no, and uh, and seeing James Hetfield side stage. And I'm like, he has got to be so disappointed in us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we said, you know, we had seven more songs to recover and it, and it went just fine. But I was like, oh, no. You know? Oh, man. But, but other, another thing I'll say about Metallica, which I uh, and, and that festival is just what uh, how well how how cool the, the variety in bands, you know, there were. It was like they yes. had the Hot Snakes, which is, you know, I love the Hot Snakes. They're one of my favorite bands. Um, but it's just doesn't I don't you know and I was and I was watching them and it was like you know that there was a crowd for them but it's like this is not necessarily Metallica you know devo devotee no and I think uh, style you know and I think the like, one you did had like the Arctic Monkeys on it too right I think so yeah and yeah. Uh, who else oh um, Rocky Erickson who <laughs> right. recently passed away yeah rest I mean, in peace but, yeah I mean that guy was what a what an amazing free spirited you know, man, that dude's brain was beyond everybody, you know, and just to be able to see all these different cool bands. And it was like, you know, to some degree, you know, in the I don't know, in the you know late 90s or whatever, what I felt like personally, I felt like Metallica sort of lost their way musically. Um, I and and honestly, recently, I feel like some of the, their newer albums have actually kind of come back to you know, their roots. And, and I'm really happy about that. But, uh, but just that it just really spoke to me that they would have such, such varying and, and good taste in bands was, uh, was, was really impressive to me. I was like, no way, Rocky Erickson, fucking hot snakes, you know, uh, black tusk. There was just all these, it was, it was really cool. So anyway, I, you know, I mean, it was, it was, it was sort of de jour to kind of trash talk, you know, their, right. their modern songwriting for a while there. Um, but I, you know, I can't, I don't really have a bad word to say about that band. No way. When you are putting on your instrument and you're warming up, 
if there are Metallica riffs coming out of your hands, what are the what are the most common ones? Oh, Jesus! I'm not that good a guitar player. Um, <laughs> uh, I've I've let's see. Uh, yeah, I mean, for for who the bell tolls, I I can I can sort of muddle my way through that, but uh, it's it's so bad that I just don't even really I don't even try. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, like David is um, um, our other guitar player is, mm-hmm. is really is very adept at picking as, at picking things up by ear and and playing songs. Um, that's just not me. I'm I'm, I'm very. Uh, it's it's I'm, I'm, I've got to see somebody do it, and it's got to be shown to me. I, I if I mean I guess I'm I'm well I've been playing guitar for quite a while, so I guess I'm getting better at it. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just really not my it's not really I'm, it's not really my thing. There is um, I, I think it's just sort of I, I don't know that one way is better or worse than any other. I think it's just a different type of feel and a different type of brain, even that uh, yes some. Some people are just like you described, uh, and I don't think there's anything bad about it. And then other people, yeah, are just like they pick up something by ear immediately. Or, you know, I have a, a good friend of mine who is a ripping, shredding guitar player, and he just taught himself piano and keyboards basically over the last couple of months. You know, you're just like, wait, what? And then you're also oh, like, yeah. then you're also like, of course you did. You know? Like, oh no, I I, hate, I mean I don't hate them, but I do kind of. It's just like <laughs> totally. man, they, it comes to you so easily. It's like man, yeah. um, playing music never came easy to me. I mean, I played piano when I was a kid, and I, I it was a real struggle for me. You know, I mean, I I I picked it up, but I I mean, I'm not good at piano. I tell you that if someone asked me to, you know play a piece on the piano i would it would be chopsticks you know Um, (laughs) i mean i haven't played piano seriously in in like 30 years so yeah i can play i I, I can play the beginning of the theme from jaws that's about it oh yeah yeah (laughs) i guess that's my other (laughs) go-to there's a there's a great story about that where apparently when john williams played it for spielberg for the first time on a piano spielberg thought he was joking Oh really? Here's the theme for the movie. Dun dun dun. dun. He's like, he thought he was kidding. Well, it's crazy, and now it's one of the most iconic soundtracks of of movies in general. Absolutely. You know, coming off of the heels of Only Ghosts, uh, which is um, what was that? 2016. I believe that's true. What's 2019 looking like for Red Fang? What's well, we're um, we're we're heading into the studio uh, on Monday. We're going to start tracking. Oh wow! Uh, for for a next full length. Um, so yes, we we have ten days booked, and then slammed up against a, a short tour, like a two week tour in Europe. And then we come home. We got six or seven songs ready to roll, um, and so we'll try to get most of the basic tracking done. Maybe, I don't know, I'll be optimistic and say we'll get some overdubs and vocals done so they'll be in a place where you can listen to them and sort of ruminate. Um, and then once we get home in July, we will uh, hunker back down and try to come up with another six or seven so that we'll have some uh, extra material. I'll try to have like an 11-song album out in 2020. 
or 19. What the hell year is it? It's 19, but we're already halfway over, which is wild. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's, so we'll probably, so we're shooting for a spring, re, spring release of a new LP. We have a, we, um, if you, if you haven't seen it, we have a, a pretty fun new video out that is, a Oh yeah. A, a new single, which is an interactive thing where you have to headbang to, to listen to the song, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is, which I have yet to finish. Um, I've, I've cheated and finished it, but do actually playing it. I haven't done it yet, which is embarrassing because I'm in the damn band. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's, it's really challenging and, it, you know, it's, it's it's fun. And so so I guess that's the thing. Um, we're going to release that single in the next week or two. Um, so you don't have to break your neck to listen to it. You can just <laughs> listen to it. That's awesome. Yeah. And I like that idea of, of actually breaking up the writing and recording process because then you guys will be able to kind of sit with what you track the first in the first chunk and you know I don't know I think that's an interesting way to go about it. Yeah, it's 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 very different. Uh, well, than our last recording where we we went down to uh, uh, Ross Robinson has a has a house down in uh, Venice mm-hmm. Beach and uh, he has a small studio in his basement and uh, we were in there. I think it was 31 days straight. We were doing, I mean, not constantly, but it, they were 10 to 12 hour days every yeah. day for 31 days. And we'd li- and we, you know, he put us up. So we were living there and no days off, just wake up to have coffee and, and just go, 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 go. Um, <clears throat> which I think was, was great. I'm, uh, but it, it'll, this is going to be way more relaxed because we're at home. Um, and that, and it is it, it is a, a luxury to be able to record some stuff and then kind of think on the on what you've done so far and see what maybe you want to change for the next group of songs, or um, or how you might want to go about even you know writing the next group of songs. You know, it's a uh, yeah, like I say, you know, we're lucky to have have that have that time available. We're recording with Ross or recording with uh, Chris Funk uh, again. Mm. He did. That was my next question. Yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, uh, oh my God! Whales and leeches and murder the mountains with us here in Portland. So, so to re- return to that, it was it was a cool process working with him. So I'm looking forward to it. And now he's running the studio called Halfling, um, which is a really expansive, really really nice uh, studio, um, a lot of amenities, um, and having it uh, having a lot of space to work in and being close to home. It's uh, yeah, it's being able to. Be, to have the studio experience, but also get to sleep in your own bed is kind of the best of both worlds. Exactly. I mean, I guess you could look at it both ways. I mean, it, to some degree, just being kind of buried in it and being away from home and not having any kind of distractions. You know, you don't you're not worried if the iron's on at home. Um, you know, when we were at Ross's, it was just like, no, this is nose to the grindstone. You know, um, which was you know arduous to some degree, but but also you know. Pay, you know, it paid off. So yeah, so and I guess al- you can. You, and also you, at, at Ross's, you get to hang out with Carl the dog. Don't forget about yes. that. Yes, <laughs> Carl's a good goddamn dog. <laughs> He's a pretty good dog. Well, that's what he would. Ross would say that like I don't know four times a day. Carl, you're a good goddamn <laughs> dog. <laughs> so yeah, so you guys uh, uh, tracked with Ross last time, and uh, Joe Barisi mixed it. Do you have any thoughts on who's going to be mixing this time, or are you not quite there yet? Uh, Funk is going to mix. Oh, so cool. It's, it's going to be all in mixed. Yeah. yeah, awesome. Well, dude, from one Ryan to a Brian, uh, this has been uh, fantastic and fun and 
engaging conversation. And for that, I'm very appreciative. And for my part, I enjoyed the conversation. I hope that uh, I haven't uh, alienated or irritated too many people no today. But uh, uh, Red Fang loves you. <laughs> Red Fang loves you. Are you alive? How does it feel to be alive? <laughs> the Red Fang family loves you. That does it for this episode of Speak and Destroy. Keep up with all things Red Fang at redfang.net. Keep up with the podcast at speakanddestroy.com. Follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Downey, on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. Check out past episodes, and please, please, if you're listening to this, particularly in Apple Podcasts, write a nice little review and leave a five-star rating because those really help with visibility for the podcast and people discovering it more and more all the time. Speaking Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. Check out other podcasts like Hoosier Illusion, No Prize from God, and Pop Curse. As always, you guys have been great, and I've been Ryan J. Downing.